HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, this is Todd Haymore, Secretary of Agriculture and Forestry for the Commonwealth of Virginia. I listen to Heritage Radio Network. In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow, I like beer. It helps me unwind, and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Makes me feel mellow. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Today it's June 5th, 2012. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43. We've got a great list of guests here on the Heritage Radio Network. Lucy Saunders, cookbook author and conservationist. Nina Nacional, from the curator of Beer Here, Brewing New York's History at New York Historical Society. Mark Schlugkick. Uh, Slukic, Jimmy. Slukic. Yeah, I've never had to pronounce your name before, Mark. Either from Lagunitas and Brandon Moore from American Beer Distributor in Brooklyn. All right. Thank you to our sponsor, GreatBrewers.com. It's your online connection to the world of craft beer. Check out GreatBrewers.com. And we're also supported by the people at the Good Beer Seal. Coming next Monday, June 11th, the Good Beer Seal will announce its new uh, Beer Bar Awards um, at Jimmy's number 43. So we'll have more for you next week. Check out GoodBeerSeal.com. All right, here we are. Lots going on in New York and beer this week. Mark, you're here with uh, some beer from Lagunitas. What's new at Lagunitas? I haven't had you on for a while. Well, a lot's new since we uh, last talked, Jimmy. Uh, Basically, I think a lot of your uh, a lot of your listeners probably already know that uh, we recently just expanded our brewery. Uh, we just put in a 250 barrel brew house, which we're very very excited about. Uh, it took a little while to get there. We uh, we had a couple of accidents along the way. Uh, we uh, we built a system with Rolex, which is a German company. Uh, they actually built our last system and a lot of other big systems uh, here in the country. Uh, as they shipped the equipment from Germany uh, over to California got caught in the wake of a Category 1 hurricane in the Caribbean. Uh, a crane came loose, wrecked our lotter ton. Uh, we called it the Hurricane. Uh, looking back, it's uh, you know kind of funny now, but uh, at the time it was pretty serious. Uh, so it set us back a couple of months, but uh, we actually just got it online. We're mashing in uh, on the system as we speak, and things are going really well. 
That's awesome. And what beer did you bring us? Uh, right now we're drinking a little something something, uh, which is the uh, the Wheatley Eskish pale ale that we make um so seven and a half percent alcohol really well balanced nice and sweet with really big citrusy hops uh it's a really tasty beer it's well it's cool between, between you and we have brandon moore from american beer we've got two two reps of uh d- you know different size companies you got lagunitas you're like the new york rep right uh, that's correct jimmy and uh, brandon's american a beer distributor in brooklyn you rep a lot of real small brands and uh uh, you, you've got a pretty unique territory, including places like Jimmy's Number 43. What I wanted to ask you both is that um, as breweries grow and the whole craft beer scene's growing, um, do you see any of your peers taking beer education programs like uh, Cicerone or Siebel Institute? Are you running across more people who've had some professional training? I think a lot, pe- a lot more people are getting a lot more interested in beers and definitely asking me questions. Um, knowledge about the beer uh, f- from a salesperson standpoint, like the, the the touch of wheat that's in the little something, little something that that, that beer just tastes so amazing, and then you find out that it, it's brewed this way and that way, and you start to become more interested in beer. I think the common beer drinker is definitely going through that and definitely taking classes and learning more about beer. I've seen that. And I can tell you from our side of things, uh, just uh, at Lagunitas, we've been working really closely with Ray Daniels from the Cicerone program. Uh, every single one of the uh, other people that work for our brewery is actually uh, a certified beer server, and uh, everyone's actually working towards getting that certified Cicerone and uh, hopefully beyond. So. Well, the reason I asked you guys, it's a good introduction to one of our guests, Lucy Saunders. Lucy, um, you are uh, quite a beer authority. I got to hang out with you this week. I was, I was quite impressed with your book. Your latest one is The Best of American Beer and Food. Pairing and cooking with craft beer, and you've also been teaching at Siebel Institute. Tell us a little bit about you feel the, the role of professional training for the beer industry and things that you're doing uh, at Siebel Institute. Yeah, I think that there's a growing need for a culinary appreciation of craft beer, and really staking out beer's place at the American table. And I think that chefs and restaurateurs are recognizing the profit potential in craft beer and making sure that their beer lists are imaginative and reflect the seasonality that often drives their cooking and the choice of ingredients and techniques. So there's a lot of real overlays in the the sort of ethics and professionalism of craft brewers and chefs. In fact, some brewers just say, well, you know, we're like chefs, and they make it accessible that way for the people who drink their products. But at the same time, there's a real need for some standardized uh, education, training palettes, and also helping people to promote beer in I would say the most civilized way, which is to enjoy it at the table and have it be part of a meal and make it make sure that people understand that beer is food. So that's been my my driving counterpoint. I wrote a book called Cooking with Beer that was published in 1996 by Time Life Books. I majored in baking and pastry and uh, then took that knowledge and started writing about beer. And for the life of me, I couldn't find any place that taught about beer back in the 90s so I did a series of apprenticeships I think programs like Cicerone like Siebel um, the Master Brewers Association of the Americas has a beer steward program that a lot of distributors are turning to all of those programs help bring craft beer forward and bring the understanding and knowledge of how it should be served Wow, are there any um, noted beer educators and authors that we should know about? Well, yeah, uh, Randy Mosier actually is somebody who is vital in bringing along the Cicerone program. He also teaches at Siebel Institute. And um, 
he has a great book that uh, is a wonderful beginning guide. It's called Tasting Beer, and it explores beer styles, uh, both for people who are homebrewers and people who would like to buy these beers off the shelf, and um, kind of discover more about how brewers get those flavors and put them into the bottle. Mark, are you familiar with that book? Tasting Very familiar. Beer? It's uh, it's basically a Bible, uh, you know, especially when you're talking about studying for beer related stuff, whether it's the BJCP or, or Siebel. Uh, or the Cicerone program. Uh, it's a very, very thorough look, but uh, also approachable enough for beginners. Great. And uh, we, we have Nina Nacional from, uh, it's the New York Historical Society. Tell us a little bit about this program, because we've, we've heard of it as Beer Here. We know there's a beer exhibit at a museum <laughs> yeah, in New York. Exactly. Um, Deborah Schmidt-Bach and I co-curated this exhibit, and it was a real thrill to take something that perhaps a lot of people take for granted, beer, and really look deeply at all the facets and all the aspects, starting with um, the colonial period. Um, The exhibit begins and we have printed and handwritten recipes from the early 19th century um, for spruce beer and other beers. And, And very much we were thinking that the way we start the exhibit is really a bookend to how we end it, because the eighth gallery in the exhibit is a beer hall with beer tastings and so many craft brewers are doing such creative work now and um, experimenting with all kinds of ingredients and you find out the exhibit looking back in the 18th 17th century people were experimenting too sometimes because they had to because they perhaps didn't have the ingredients they wanted but I think it's really um you know, it's it's great to, to get the historical roots of what's happening now um, and to see very much that it's food. You know, it's a it's a variation on a food. It's um, Lucy, you checked out the exhibit, didn't you? Yeah, I had a great time on Friday. I visited the New York Historical Society and went to their cafe and then went to the um, beer show. And I was surprised because I ha- had ordered the beer at the cafe and I really didn't need to because there's a little cafe set up right at the end of the show where you can sample some of the beers that are um, featured from New York State breweries. It's that's a, I thought was a really nice touch. And uh, local uh, Sigmund pretzels, I think, were served. Yeah as well as some pickles and things like that. It was fun. And what I noticed is that I thought it was really interactive, that everybody um, could um, kind of look and circle around some of the pieces of old-fashioned brewing equipment, the old pipes that were made out of timbers that were hollowed out for moving wort in the brewery. It wasn't fabricated from steel all the time. It was made from wood. <laughs> wow. So when you put together this exhibit, where did you get all this stuff? We started with our own collections in the library and museum at New York Historical Society, and then when we saw gaps, we went out looking. So when we found out that ice harvesting was an important aspect of 19th century um, brewing, we went to the South Street Seaport. Did you say ice harvesting? Yes. Okay. I did. Okay. I knew nothing about I this. I didn't either. No, no not a clue. Um, we have a painting in our collection of uh, ice harvesting on Rockland Lake, Rockland County, right up the Hudson. Um, and, you know, during the winter, there were tools, and you'd use it to cut out chunks of ice, bring it down, put it in your ice house or in a tunnel to chill the beer. Um, and we also we went to Cooperstown to the Farmers Museum and also the Fenimore and borrowed things like hop presses, um, hop poles. Um, I learned I, I didn't know anything about hops. I didn't know what they looked like, um, and they're gorgeous. Um, and it was just really exciting to learn about these things and then know that we'd be able to share them 
with people. Yeah, those and those uh, hop exhibits are beautiful. You also have one of the old-fashioned uh, presses where they would compress the hops into square bales before bagging them up so that they could be really easily stacked, almost in the same way that they would bale new mown hay. Exactly, and also we wanted to talk about you know the importance of water, and that's also something we take for granted. And um, you know, Brooklyn brewers had a really good supply and. Um, I've stored in the Ridgewood Reservoir, Evergreen Ridgewood. But Manhattan, the available water went really bad pretty quickly because there were a lot of people and not that much water. Um, And so the the opening of the um, Croton Reservoir on 42nd and 5th was a real godsend to a lot of people. So we just talked about that water supply coming down um, from north of the city and how that continues to be a real... Um, factor in the flavor of beer that's brewed in New York City. W- were there many breweries before the influx of German immigrants in the 1800s? There were, but wow, you know, things were just completely transformed with the um, German immigration. Um, and section four of the exhibit, you'll just, uh, I hope people are really wowed by it visually with um, all the posters and calendars and souvenirs because it's this. Um, you can tell how vital the business was and how many of them there were. And we reproduced um, insurance atlases. Um, actually, they're on the floor and circled all the breweries to give people an idea. If you, if you were walking down the street, especially the east side of Manhattan, Yorkville, it's brewery, brewery, brewery. There's so many of them. And, of course, they brought lager, which that was new to everyone. Um, and people had been used to stout and ale and um, sort of... Yeah. What was the, there was a, a famous brewery up near Yorkville, the Upper East Side. Yeah, Eretz maybe George um, Eretz, Rupert's. Rupert's, yeah. and he owned the New York Yankees at he one did. time. He right? did. His um, the founder's son did own the the Yankees, and likely it's it's one of the his ownership of the Yankees helped them survive prohibition, probably. Wow. He actually, he made probably the best purchase in New York history. He's actually <laughs> the guy who bought Babe Ruth from the uh, exactly. Boston Red Sox. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on in this room. Mark, what do you think about Have you been to see the exhibit yet? I haven't. I'm actually really looking forward to it um, uh, for a lot of the reasons that were already touched on. Uh, but uh, I'm really excited to see it. Uh, everything at the New York Historical Society has been phenomenal. Uh, every exhibit I've ever been to there. Wow. Um, so I have absolutely no doubt it'll be the same. And <laughs> just, to, just to touch on another point that you, uh, you talked about before, um, I know a lot of listeners on the show are probably going up to Cooperstown uh, maybe to visit the brewery at one point or another uh, up there, uh, Oma Gang. But the, uh, the Cooperstown Farmers Museum is a really cool hops ex- uh, exhibit to check out. Uh, it's really worth, uh, really worth seeing if you can. Well, if, if you're going up to August 3rd, to fifth this year is Belgium comes to Cooperstown. It's the big summer beer fest. It's one of my favorite beer fests in the world. And uh, on Sunday the fifth, Farm Museum is going to have an informal hops event, and we're going to have a pig roast there too. So it's definitely worth checking. Brandon, I want you to ask a question. If, yeah. if I didn't know anything about beer, and I was going to go to Beer Here Exhibit, uh, what question would I want to ask of Nina? Or what do you want to ask Nina? Well, at first, I'd, uh, yeah, I've never been to the New York Historical Society. Where, where is that located? It's on um, 77th and Central Park West in Manhattan. Okay, great. The C&B trains go there. Okay. Yeah. That's easy. Yeah, right across from the Museum of Natural History. Yeah. And, and what, what would you want to know about beer, Brandon, if you were going to a museum? Um, well, I would want to know, you mentioned that there was tastings of the beer. Yeah. Uh, what styles do they taste after they... Um, we invited a bunch of New York State craft brewers to come in on Saturday and have um, tastings at 
I think it's 2.30 and 4. Um, it's all on our website. Um, so last week was Kelly Taylor of Kelso. I think the first week was FX Matt uh, Saranac. We've got Bronx Brewery coming up, Keegan, Captain Lawrence, um, Blue Point. Um, so they're all listed. Um, wow. And it varies, obviously. And then during mm-hmm. the week, those are you know special tasting programs um, you pay a bit extra for. But during the week after 2, um, you can buy beer and just enjoy it and sit there and yeah oh neat awesome that's great we're gonna take a short break we'll be back talking more about beer on beer sessions radio well she's all you'd ever want she's the kind i'd like to flaunt and take to dinner but she always knows her place she's got style she's got grace she's a winner She's a lady, oh, 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 she's a lady, talking about that little lady, and the lady is mine, but she's never in the way, always something nice to say, what a blessing, I can leave her on her own, knowing she's Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're out here at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. They just sent uh, out from the kitchen a margarita pizza and a meat plate. And uh, Lucy Saunders, the author of The Best of American Beer and Food, and uh, Mark Schlubnick from Lagunitas. I'm going with Mark Sputnik for the Sputnik. rest of the show. Uh, and Brandon Moore from American Beer. We're going to do a little informal beer and food pairing. So what they, they're drinking, Lagunitas, a little something, uh, the classic celebrator, and maybe something else. And they're going to see what goes best with a margarita pizza and uh, some meat plates. Yeah. Um, before we get to that, we have a special uh, offer if you email us at beersessionsradio at gmail.com, you can win uh, a copy of Lucy Saunders' latest book, The Best of American Beer and Food, Pairing and Cooking with Craft Beer. It's really awesome. I've spent the last two nights reading it. There's chefs and uh, brewers from all over the country, uh, whether they're from Omegang or Allagash or Dogfish Head, um, and they've, they've contributed recipes uh, for cooking with beer. And there's some really cool ones. Some of my favorite are, there's a beer knees sauce. There's a guy, it's Tim Schaefer, right, Lucy? Yep. Uh, he's, it's so funny. I've seen him, his, his byline in Ale Street News for so many years. And it's like I never read his column, but I was always intrigued. And uh, talking to Lucy, I'm like, oh, my God, that guy knows so much about cooking with beer. And here's one, the Old Chubb Chocolate Mole, uh, the recipe from Denver chef Charles Edson using Oscar Blue's Old Chubb. So there's a lot of really cool stuff in here. I think it's one of the most unique books I've seen lately, and it's bringing us uh, to – going beyond just drinking beer and talking about beer, but pairing beer with food and, and cooking with beer. Yeah, I'm talking to some of the uh, chefs and restaurateurs who love craft beer and love working with it. I think that, you know, the front of the book, about um, half of it is devoted to a chap- chapters on chocolate and pairing with beer and chapters on cheese and pairing with beer. And then um, also kind of a regional roundup of what chefs are doing. Um, it's... Uh, 
interesting because I think the interest in chefs and cooking with beer has only grown. It's just continued to grow since the time the book was published. And that's great. And if you email in, email us at beersessionsradio at gmail.com. Send us your favorite recipe for cooking with beer, and uh, we'll sort that through, and you will win a copy of Lucy Saunders' book. All right. So talk about, we had a really great show this winter with uh, Clay Gordon, who's a chocolate expert, and Garrett Oliver. They really got deep into talking about beer and chocolate pairings and why that matters. Um, what are your other? What, what are the other like things that are obvious? There's cheese. You prepare cheese with beer, mm-hmm. and you can also. This is a fun one. I actually like to age cheese on hops, and you find a cheese that you really like, and you find hops that you really like, and um, get an airtight container, put a layer of hops in the in the container, put a little piece of parchment paper on the bottom of the cheese. And then, um, not to totally cover it, but just to keep it from getting uh, real gooky with the hop leaves. And then cover it up and let it age for anywhere from 12 to 72 hours. And you wind up with a cheese that absorbs the aromatics of the hops. And that makes a fantastic grilled cheese sandwich. Super simple. Lots of fun. That sounds awesome. They're, they're also doing a lot of beer uh, beer brining with cheese, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, rind washing. Um, one of the things with the cave age cheeses, um, they found that the old breweries with the brewery caves for um, you know, aging the beer actually make great places to age the cheese as well. Mark, at, at Lagunitas, is there a restaurant or do you do any uh, cooking with beer or beer and food pairings? Uh, we do. We actually we have a, a little taproom sanctuary, um, and I'm pretty sure we do use beer in some of our recipes. I could be wrong on that, and uh, I'm sure. Because yeah, cooking with beer to me, it's it's the ultimate. It's going beyond just beer and food pairings. You know, you have beer and chocolate. You know, beer and beer and cheese. When I first started Jimmy's Number Forty Three, I used to cook with wine a lot whether it was braises and sauces and things. And just from having a lot of beer around, I gradually substituted almost everything that I'd cooked with wine. I used beer instead. And I had some pretty cool recipes. And I think that next year, Lucy and I, we may surprise you with some... uh, Interesting things coming out. Yeah. You never know. Oh, well, sure. I think we, we share the same wavelength, and it's always fun to hear that. And um, I just am polling our little group here that's tasted this pizza margarita. <laughs> I think the bridge ingredient here, um, it's not only the crust, which echoes the sort of caramel malts, but it's that basil. The basil <laughs> picks up and really works well with the hops and the little something-something from Lagunitas. What do you think? Absolutely. And I think the uh, <laughs> the sauce as well is uh, very mm-hmm. sweet for, for mm-hmm. a pizza sauce. and. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah, I think it complements it very well. Now, Lucy, on the way over, you, you mentioned something about you have an affiliation with Celebrator? Yes, Celebrator Beer News, actually. Not the, not the Iyengar Brewery, uh, sad to say, but actually Celebrator Beer News is named after the brewery. And um, it's one of the oldest publications devoted to craft beer in the United States. And So it has um, nothing to do with the beer? Well, it is named after the beer. But that's why but I brought the beer, Lucy. I know, it's a beautiful beer. It's a beautiful <laughs> beer. It's, it's, it's one of the very best examples of Bavarian Bach uh, beers. And I think it's going to make a fantastic pairing uh, for the salumis uh, that we have in front of us, these um, uh, wonderful house-made meats that you have at Roberta's. Well, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Brandon, uh, I want to talk about American Beer Distributor in, in Brooklyn. Okay. It's definitely one of the cooler, older, family-run mm-hmm. beer distributorships and has a store as well. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us how it got started. I, I, I've met Joe... It's, it's a real family vibe. But you guys always have the best up-and-coming small breweries. Well, uh, as the story has it, Joe's grandfather fell off a lemon truck. 
and uh, wound up in Brooklyn, uh, bought a storefront, and the storefront moved around a little, but eventually it became, it went, it was a coal and ice delivery, so we've been delivering to Manhattan and Brooklyn for 60 years, <laughs> and um, I think they started doing craft about 15, 10, 15 years ago with Dogfish Head, uh, my boss going around the city, you know, trying to sell something called Dogfish Head, and eventually he got salespeople, and uh, Dogfish Head grew at such a rapid pace, it, it, like, blew by us, you know, like a Ferrari, and we're in our turtle here. Uh, we have four trucks. We haven't grown a whole lot, but we we have great brands, brands that stick, you know, stick with us, and uh, mostly family-owned breweries that, that aren't looking to, like the McNeil's um, in uh, Vermont, which, by the way, this Dark Angel is a great braising on a beef beef hey, let's, let's hope. Hey, let's taste that against the celebrator with with the salumi, the meat plate. Yeah, and and and, and it's true. It's almost like the the small new family owned breweries coming into New York. They find a little home at, at American Beer Distributor. I know that Captain Lawrence started with you guys. Um, Shelton Brothers used to dist- used to distribute through you. And now yes. some of your new hot brands, you got Crossroads yep. based up in the Hudson Valley and mm-hmm. Carton, which is, for my mind, the, the, the hottest new brewery, uh, and it's coming out of New Jersey. Yeah, in our portfolio right now, Carton out of Atlantic Islands, New Jersey, with the Boat Beer and the BDG, which is an interesting take on on Beer de Garde. It, it's, it, they don't really brew in a classification. They're sort of the... the um, the bastardization of all other styles, and that becomes American beer. I feel like, and we we, we kind of love that. Well, I was I was talking to the guys from Carton, and they said one issue for them, and, and Lucy, you might appreciate this, is that because of the emphasis now on you know b- the BJCP, the Beer Judge Certification Program, and beer styles, and uh, some of the online uh, rating groups like um, you know Rate Beer and Beer Advocate, that if if for example they have a beer called Carton Boat. To me, it's a hoppy Kolsch, and they have may, may, may have made it as a hoppy Kolsch, but they said because for the fear of being judged according to style, they just call it a session ale. Mm-hmm. Or if anything, they call it their own style, the boat beer. Yeah. And to me, I describe it to my customers as a hoppy Kolsch. Yeah, so what do you guys think about that? Do you think that we should be like limited by styles, or we should let people uh, be a little freer? You know, I like your approach saying it's a hoppy Kolsch because I think having a basic understanding of all beer styles is a really good starting point. But I don't think any brewer should be locked in. Um, in fact, Dan Carey of New Glarus Brewing Company um, has a, a special series of the unplugged beers. And he likens it to the MTV Unplugged series <laughs> when, when people are just getting up and doing studio renditions of their favorites. And the reason that he, he does that is he doesn't want to be locked into styles. And I think that that is an, an emotion that's shared by a lot of brewers. They just they I think it's good for people to know what styles are, but you don't have to have everything fit into neatly within the lines. And Mark, I know at Lagunitas, you guys kind of break a lot of rules, don't you? Uh, we love to break the rules, actually. Uh, we uh, we try to as much as possible. I think uh, a, a lot of what this uh, this whole revolution is about is pushing the limits of, uh, of what was conventional at one point. Um, we have so much more available to us. Um, I mean, dozens more uh, hot varietals uh, out there. Um, you know, a lot of us, are, a lot of breweries are working on direct relationships with their barley farmers, uh, with their hop farmers, uh, developing new hops. Um, so, yeah, I, there's no way anyone should be limited by style. You should just go out there and brew what tastes good. So this little something something ale, so it's just its own beer. Yeah, I mean, um, 
I've heard so many different classifications for it. Uh, you know, American pale weed or weedy IPA. Um, uh, ultimately, it was just you know a, a bunch of wheat malt, some hops we really dug, and uh, came out tasting real good. And didn't worry about what to call it. Just uh, and it's yeah. it's highly sessionable and dangerous. At what's the ABV on it again? Seven, seven and a half percent. Seven and a half. Alcohol, you would think yeah. it's five. You sit there and drink four of them. You're going, man, I feel great. What's going on here? <laughs> Hey, let's have some fun with, with Lucy. Let's just talk about the basics of you know food and beer pairing. Let's let's each get um, the what is it McNeil's beer, uh, Brandon? Uh, the Dark Angel I, I used to braise some beef ribs one time, and then I smoked. Okay, let's each let's each get a, a the Dark Angel from McNeil's, and let's each get the Celebrator from Germany. This is you, and um, we'll each get a little bit of uh, salumi. Mm-hmm. And um, let's have Lucy talk us through what what do you look for when you do some uh, food and beer pairings. Yeah. What I noticed about the celebrators at the malt they use in this beer, it's a, it's a Doppelbach from Einger Brewery in Germany, and the malts are one of the most amazing ingredients in beer. They're kind of taken for granted. That You think that they're just there to provide the fermentable sugars, but you can get flavors from um, licorice to cocoa to biscuits to, you know, angel food cake. I don't know. It's just <laughs> the whole range of bakery flavors is, is out there, and so... Personally, because I majored in baking and pastry, I gravitate towards the malty styles. Brown sugar from Lagunitas is one of my favorites, um, and uh, Lakefront Brewery makes a, a, an outstanding stout that I, I really enjoy. Actually, I saw in your and book. I, saw in your book earlier. They have a brown sugar glaze that sounds pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll be revisiting that one come <laughs> yeah. uh, come October, November. But it's interesting. The Celebrator, when I tasted it with the salumi meats, it, it almost got. Um, more fruity and it tasted almost like a, a plum a roasted plum flavor from the beer coming up against the meat and with the McNeil's um, it was just more of a almost a smoky edge that came up so um, I'd, I'd be interested in your take on that did you get a chance to taste this one here I didn't what, what do you think about that Brandon did you try both or yeah I did I, I agree and I think the the the, the celebrator has a like a, I don't know if I want to say sweeter, but milder and a touch sweeter malts that sort of, I think, lend itself better to picking up the spiciness that's in the meats uh, versus the McNeil's, which tends to get a little richer and smokier and kind of, it, 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 they both work. Hey, food and beer always works, but. You know, my, I'm going to generalize. Well, my, my friend Chris Guzmi always says, you have too many blanket statements. My blanket statement is, I always love German beers with food. And I feel like it's something in their tradition and, and the balance of the beers that goes so well with food. And I feel like American beers are, are still, ex, you know, checking out so many different angles and you know expressions that they may not all be quite right for food. But the way the German beers are, they're so good. Well, it's interesting because I think they have a moderate use of hops, and the hops are the wild card in American brewing. They have hop varieties that weren't ordinarily available to some of the traditional brewers of um, the 19th century, which is where a lot of these like the Kolsch style originated in Cologne. And so when you are looking at a beer that I think has mostly fermentation-driven flavors, like the Kolsch, um, when you add the hops to it, it's like a, it's exciting, but it changes the profile of what you might be, be able to pair it with. So and that's where a, having a Here's a, a collaboration beer, too. Helps. This is a, it's called TBA. It's, a, it's between, a, what is it, Fathead? Uh, Fathead, Bear Republic, and Stone. And Stone. And it's made with um, brown sugar or molasses or something. Uh, it's uh, with brown sugar and molasses. Wow, that's a two for one. See, <laughs> so let's try that too. I have a feeling this 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 is a different American beer. It has definitely that brown sugar uh, 
quality. This one might might pair well with it because I had it the other day. I was thinking and the cool it. thing about beer pairings, you know, for me is that I don't think there's necessarily a really wrong answer if you like it. Uh, I mean, yeah. just go out there. I, I, I kind of just believe it's almost like true love. Even the most extreme beer has got some kind of food out there that that's going to go absolutely perfect with it. And you're never going to know until you try it all. So on that note, again, if you want to win a copy of Lucy Saunders' new book, The Best of American Beer and Food, email us, beersessionsradio at gmail.com, and give us your favorite uh, cooking with beer recipe. All right. Hey, we're going to take a short break again. Uh, we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks to our sponsor, GreatBrewers.com. Have you ever checked out the Beer Cloud, a mobile app to help you locate your favorite beer store tasting notes and get beer and food pairing ideas and so much more? GreatBrewers.com. Well, I didn't know that the Beer Cloud has uh, beer and food pairing ideas. They do. Do you ever go to that site? I do go to the site, but I don't. I I, I don't go to inform myself I go to read what other people say I'm a snoop <laughs> you're a kid that's why you're right you know Lucy I am so impressed with you I'm going to say this again Lucy Saunders we, we've talked on the phone we've met a couple times but this weekend you've been in New York um, I really enjoyed meeting you and, and I think that I'm looking forward to reading your book many many times again the best of American beer and food let's go back to the New York Historical Society a bit. beer here Tell us how this whole thing started, because it's not you know you, you you're the curator with Deborah. Yep. And uh, tell us how this idea came about, because this, this doesn't happen overnight, and right. it doesn't happen every day. Right. Um, Deborah and I had uh, curated um, an exhibit about the Grateful Dead. Um, the Grateful Dead now playing in New York's <laughs> at the New York Historical Society, and so we were thinking in a sense about popular culture, but we were also thinking about. Um, you know, New York history, and and actually, someone suggested it to us. It was sort of the community, extended community of New York Historical Society, and and it was like definitely this this is the perfect thing to be able to explore so many aspects, and it's I feel like it's just the right time for it too. It's amazing. I mean, I knew that there were a lot of breweries in in New York. Um, I did not understand completely, <laughs> you know, how, what happened to them. I mean. How did we go from what we had forty or fifty breweries uh, at one time? Or yeah, more, more, how many do we Man- have? Manhattan probably, um, you know, end of the nineteenth century, a hundred, um, and and also of course Bushwick, Williamsburg, um, lots and lots of breweries, and I mean Prohibition took a big, I mean chunk of them out. 
um, because that was 13 years, you know, of, of not having business, and some people did near beer. And in the exhibit, we have labels that say, you know, half of 1% alcohol, and you had to put that label on your beer if you were if you were brewing and selling near beer. <laughs> it's not that appealing, really. Is that what near beer was? It, yeah, half of 1%. I, someone, told me, someone told me near beer was less than 3%. Yeah, so it's half of 1%. So, yeah, now, right, exactly. Like O'Doul's and that kind of thing or something. But in, in Prohibition, was it half of 1%? Yeah. It wasn't three less than 3%? No. All right. no. Well, actually, there was a modification to um, uh, the Prohibition uh, 19th Amendment um, because uh, in Wisconsin, they brought back um, a stronger version of near beer, um, very I think it was three years before Prohibition ended. <laughs> they just couldn't do it in Wisconsin. <laughs> well, now we have nothing to say. The one for me doing the show is I never want to talk about Prohibition ever again. Huh. All right? <laughs> and, and, and everything about it, I only want to talk about what's happening with craft beer you know, since then or whatever happened. I'm more interested in what happened in, in the 19th century. Yeah. I mean, what I was going to say is that um, in our section temperance taxes and prohibition we figured most people know about prohibition kind of been there done that but the temperance movements i mean if you look at them in the 19th century i mean temperance is a nice word for what those people wanted they wanted alcohol out of the picture and it left brewers in a hard spot because you're not doing um distilled spirits it's far less alcohol and yet you're lumped in you know so we look a bit about um at the united um brewers association um, and basically um, brewers gathering together and um, advocating for themselves because they had to do it um, and continue to do it. So what were some of the styles that were popular in New York in the 19th century? It was really a lager scene. I mean, really, um, and I feel like then all of America got it, and then it, it went from good to sort of... Um, you know, watered down. I mean, lager's pretty light and effervescent to begin with. Um, but then when certain companies, you know, start using extracts rather than real ingredients. It's, it's kind of funny how, you know, how, how much times can change. But, uh, you know, at, night, at turn of the century, the three biggest breweries in the country were still uh, Pabst, Anheuser-Busch, and Schlitz. Yeah. Now, right. were, were their beers any different back then? Or were they... Mm-hmm. They were. Yeah. They were very much different. What, mm-hmm. Lucy, I know you know about this, so tell us. Why were beers good in the 19th century and they weren't good in the 20th century? I don't think it's not necessarily that they they weren't good. It's just that there was this huge surge in the culture um, after Prohibition and post-World War II of creating products that could be shipped across the United States and have consistent flavors. So there were two factors, transit and then also this consistency and the idea that everybody could be the same. We could be democratic in our tastes and drink the same beer. It was a real homogenization movement. And I think that that really affected the flavor of beer. And people started using ingredients like, you know, papaya extract, papains for um, foam stabilization and things like that. And that just changed papaya the Papaya extract? Yeah. No, it's not papaya extract. It's a chemical extract from it. But it helps stabilize beer foam. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned homogenization. I think pasteurization, too. I mean, we have an uh, 1876 book that Louis Pasteur 
wrote about his studies in beer in the exhibit, and everyone thinks milk, you know, pasteurization. Um, but he identified why um, yeast cultures could go bad. You know, you can't just leave them out and have all this sort of airborne bacteria go in. You have to protect them. And then he suggested that things should be flash pasteurized. And apparently his beer that he, he experimented with was horrible because it was so flat. But that that continues to happen, right? A lot of mm-hmm. brewers, they, they pasteur. It's not even flash. Am mm-hmm. I right? It's more mm-hmm. pasteurizing, which really kills the flavor. Mark, with a, something like Lagan, oh, Brendan, jump in. I mean, I want to know, uh, some breweries pasteurize and some don't. Well, so was, what's the story with craft beer? Well, we were just drinking McNeil's, and uh, he's, his uh, beer is, is definitely a... Uh, Ray is a, 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 brewer, a lover of beer, a, ch- a cellist in his for most of his life he just brews the beer it's unfiltered um there's a lot of vitamin e in that yeast that beer yeast and and at the bottom of his bottles is always the best part of if you can find one fresh that's the thing he doesn't pasteurize at all so a lot of times you're out looking for bottles of mcneil's and you really gotta wonder you know is this one fresh we move a lot of the product at american beer in, in brooklyn on court street so you can find fresh mcneil's there so it's you know you can dump that last bit of the bottle out in your glass and just it just the taste is amazing you can't match that if, when it's pasteurized and filtered it just sort of takes the flavor out of it. Mark, what's what about Lagunitas? You know, I'll tell you the truth, I'm not a not a hundred percent sure on that. I'm pretty sure we uh, we do, I'd imagine, but. Uh uh, yeah, I mean, you Would know, you pasteurize by nature. Do bottles get pasteurized coming out of Lagunitas? Yeah, I, I got to tell you, Jimmy, I'm not 100 percent sure. It's a little homework. I'll You're gonna let me to know, you. okay? <laughs> wow, I stumped Mark. There you go, man. Well, because I, I, and I'm gonna put you on the spot too, because you guys are growing too, and um, you know, I still it, there's a lot of questions about what's craft, but then it's also like what's good. You know, um, you know, Goose Island was bought by Anheuser Busch. Some people say the beer is the same. Some people refuse to buy it. You know, you guys are growing. A, a lot of other breweries are growing in, in this, these heady days of craft beer. Um, I don't know. Is the beer going to be the same? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, uh, for the most part, as as long as you got the same people making it, you're using the same ingredients. I mean, the ingredients are same uh, are the same wherever. You know, there's a big focus on local beer, and I think rightfully so. Uh, you should definitely try to drink, so you know, try to drink what's local. Of course, I work for a brewery three thousand miles away, so drink <laughs> our beer too. But um, at the same time, all these guys are kind of getting their ingredients from the same places, um, and there's going to be a lot of breweries expanding. And you're you're going to start to see it a lot more. We actually just announced that we're going to be building a brewery in Chicago uh, that's going to be ready by the end of next year. Uh, another 250 barrel system, so uh, we'll have quite a bit of capacity over there, and that's going to be serving most of these. Did you really announce? Did you announce that, or you're announcing it? Now? Oh no, actually, uh, <laughs> if you want any announcements uh, regarding our stuff, uh, actually, our owner, our owner tw- uh, Tony has a Twitter account. Uh, you guys can follow him over at, at Lagunitas T. Uh, he, uh, yeah, a lot of times it's on Twitter before we even know it. So that was one of uh, one of Tony's little tweets. And then, and Nina, you, did you know a lot about beer before you did the exhibit? I just know I knew what I enjoyed drinking, you know, I, and I know more probably about red wine than beer. But it's been I've learned a lot, and that's part of the excitement of curating an exhibit. And it's great to continue learning, you know, this kind of discussion here. Um, and I really, I mean, the fact that New York State was the biggest producer of hops in the late 19th century it blew me away, you know. And the Northeast Hops Alliance now is doing a lot of work to 
to have it be a viable crop again. Cooperstown used to be called the king of hops. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They're 90, 90% of the hops. We're real big fans. I think the East Coast got a little later start than some other areas. I think also because we have great imports too, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really big on New York. We've got the New York City uh, Brewers Guild and um, there's New York Tap, which really promotes mm-hmm. a lot of New York breweries. I'm, I'm real big on New York beers and New York area beers. And um, I would say this, okay, in your exhibit, okay, What's something that you'd notice that, okay, to our listeners, what would you tell them they should notice besides that they can taste beer? Oh, God, there's so many things. Um, one thing. Oh, one thing. Damn. Um, the capper. The, we have the, William, this man, William Painter, in 1892 patented a bottle capper, and we have it in the exhibit. And that's huge. Does it still work? Pennsylvania? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Exactly. Northeast Philadelphia. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it does bear canny resemblance pun intended, <laughs> uh, to the bottle cappers that are the single-use bottle cappers that small craft brewers are using now. And the only difference is that this one is completely covered in white enamel, probably yeah. because it was meant to be more sterile than mm-hmm. beer stainless at that point. But it was it was really, uh, it's, it's a really beautiful piece. Can I have another one? Sure. <laughs> you can get five. Four okay. More. I love the Bert and Harry ads Peel's had in Peel Brothers. Um, in the late 1950s, Bob and um, Ray, the the radio comedians. Yeah, no. Yeah. I <laughs> okay. Bob and good. Ray. Yes. Um, and then also, you're the historian. <laughs> I'm over also, 50. Also, things like um, we our first section is gentlemen brewers. So the fact that Matthew Vassar, people think of Vassar College in Poughkeepsie, Matthew Vassar made his money on a brewery. He had a brewery. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were brewing, home brewing, and also business brewing. Okay, what's that? Three? <laughs> Two more. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> German um, beer gardens, images, prints of that, and the sort of you know immigrant story of the Germans come over, and they have tradition of brewing lager, but they also have this wonderful tradition of community consumption and hanging out, having a good time. And can I jump in with yeah. a question? Um, you know, how many people, in, you know enjoy beer gardens now exactly and I mean, are they the same are or are they different tons yeah i mean i feel like this is a bit of a beer cool. garden. i know the uh, the one in a, the, the, the big one in astoria the, the bohemian hall that's yeah. been around since i think 1910 yeah, i believe it's, it's, a, yeah. it's over 100 years old yeah. yeah does anyone know what a texas texas beer garden is no nobody knows <laughs> Is this a it's joke? just a larger beer garden. <laughs> <laughs> I read something in Beer Advocate. I don't know. Something about they, they have these things where you just put out folding chairs and they give you a beer and they call it a beer garden. That's the Okay, last last special a parking thing lot. about. Come on, this is your your moment. Beer I here know, it's in so New York hard. Historical Society. Oh gosh. I don't know. There's a book called Liquordom that some temperance people put out in 1893 and they were very worried about the European criminal element that was infiltrating New York City. So they identified um, lager saloons and whiskey saloons, and we have the maps and we have the book and everything. We were lucky a couple weeks ago we had on uh, Christine Sismondo who wrote a book about taverns. I think uh, Bree's going to tell me the name of it. Uh, it's like uh, America Walks Into a Bar. <laughs> and I read the book, and it's highly, highly footnoted, and it, it really talks about what led to prohibition, and, and it was supposedly more about class issues mm-hmm. and uh, racism. Uh, yeah, so exactly. it's heavy stuff, you know. So pro- prohibition shouldn't have happened, and I can still have whiskey at my country club, but you know the average man did not get their pub. So let's raise our glasses. <laughs> the average man should have their pub and their yes, craft beer, yes. and uh, never shall that happen <laughs> again. All and, right, and go to the pub at the New York Historical Society. It's, it's a trip. 
Heck yeah. <laughs> so, Mark, anything you want to say before we close out? Uh, well, first off, thanks for thanks for having us. Well, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it was a pleasure meeting everybody here. I'm really looking forward to checking out the uh, the exhibit and reading. What, what's reading going on in the Lagunitas? What's in that Lagunitas special is, train in Lagunitas' world? Oh, we got the Skunk Train. That's coming skunk up in train. September. I guess the the next uh, the next crazy big thing we got going. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, first of all, pay, I, I pay attention to what's t- what Tony's saying more so than me. But um, yeah, it's more about getting Chicago online. We're gonna have beer really soon. Thanks everybody for sticking with us while we haven't had that much Brandon, beer. Lately. What's going on with uh, Carton and Crossroads? Jeez, uh, Crossroads is uh, selling as fast as I could get it in, and I'd say the same for Carton. And if you want my magical food pairing recipe from earlier, it'd be a, a bacon, ham, and pineapple pizza from your from your ultimate best neighborhood pizza parlor compared with the Avery Maharaja. And that's that's my magic. And you brought some Avery. <laughs> what Avery did you bring us? I brought the Avery Joe's Pilsner, which is the new in their canned line. It's... Um, it's a really the cans are great looking. The beer is very aggressive. It's aggressively hopped. It's not your standard pilsner. And then it, uh, I've got the White Rascal, which is their Belgian wit, which is really a, a classic Belgian. I wit. love that beer. Yeah. And then I've got another IPA from Lakefront. And we're going to drink that for dinner here. Lucy, anything else you want to say about your books and your time in New York? Oh, it's been wonderful exploring <laughs> the world of books, world of New York history and beer. And Jimmy's 43. Right. And Roberta does tonight. Thank you so much. And Nina? Oh, wow. Thank you. How long is the exhibit going on? <laughs> September 2nd, um, Fridays, 6 to 8, or pay what you so, wish. The beer hall is awesome. And, um, you know, come taste some history. So if you're listening on uh, live or archived or on iTunes, you can go check it out at the New York Historical Society. My pitch now is um, we've got coming up, it's going to be the fourth year of July, Good Beer Month. Mayor Bloomberg will give us a proclamation for the fourth Woo-hoo. year that says July <laughs> is, is a Good Beer Month. And one reason we do it is we have a group called the Good Beer Seal. And this is the time of year that we uh, turn, turn everyone out. Uh, next Monday, June 11th, uh, there will be announced the new additions for the New York City Good Beer Seal. At GoodBrewSeal.com, you can check it out. Um, I can only tell you that we try very hard to support the small, independently owned uh, craft beer bars that are in New York. And um, I think we're doing a good job and look forward to announcing uh, the new members. I wish I could tell you right now, but I don't even know. It's my favorite show of the year when you guys do <laughs> uh, broadcast afterwards. Yeah. And then coming up. But tonight, you know, if you want to know about heroes in beer, what I, one thing I do love about the New York City beer scene is that there's always cool brewers coming from Europe. And I, I still look to Europe. I think there's some great brewers there. There's a cool brewery in uh, Belgium called Didola, imported by Be United. And Chris Hertelier uh, of Didola is at Beer Table tonight and tomorrow, June 6th, at the Diamond, two uh, good beer seal bars. Uh, Saturday, June 9th, Beer Abroad at the Stag's Head. That's Midtown uh, Manhattan. They'll have Duvel, Le Chouf, and Oma Gang. And uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, June 6th, at Blind Tiger, the Saison-style event. Blind Tiger does some really great events. They keep reinventing themselves. A few years ago, they were doing total tap takeovers, and they've turned it around, and now they're doing these really special style events on a regular basis. And Monday, June 11th, at Jimmy's number 43, the Good Beer Seal Awards. You're all invited to come. I'd like to thank our sponsors at GreatBrewers.com. Thank you again. You can find Beer Sessions Radio on our Facebook page, Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. And our Twitter is at Beer underscore Sessions. Hey, at Beer underscore Sessions. And Lucy, what are you? At Lucy Beer Cook. At Lucy Beer Mark, Cook. Mark, who are you? Mark at Lagunitas. Woo! All right. <laughs> Thanks to Lucy, Nina, and Mark, and Brandon for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee and Brie O'Connor. And we'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. That's it. Hey. In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. 
Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on HeritageRadioNetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Whiskey's too rough, champagne costs too much Vodka puts my mouth in gear This little refrain should help me explain As a matter of fact, I like beer My wife often frowns when we're out on the town And I'm wearing a suit and a tie